following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Good morning. Am I on? Okay. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, my name is uh, Newton Chirengulo, and I uh, come from Lilongwe, Malawi, and I'm privileged to serve at uh, Reformation uh, Bible uh, Church. And I'm also privileged that I can be standing in this church. This is my second time. First came here, I believe, was four years ago. I'm usually surprised when I'm invited for the second time. <laughs> if I don't get invited, I usually understand. But if you have a Bible, please uh, stand with me as we go to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. Romans, chapter number 12, and our focus will be verses 3 to 5. Verses 3 to 5, but I'll read the first eight verses. And I'll be reading from the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Ask for the Lord's help and blessing. Our gracious our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of opening up your word. We ask that by your spirit, you cause the truth of your word to be realized in our lives. Lord, here are your people. They have come to hear from you, not from a man. So Lord, I pray that you get me out of your way, that what I say will be your very word. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people say, Amen. you may be seated. <clears throat> so as you have looked at uh, Romans chapter number 12, verses 1 to 2, I hope that you have seen that it's God's desire that the extraordinary becomes the ordinary. As I was given this uh, text, I was like, I wish I was here last week. I think verse 2 would have been easier to preach. 
So I was given verses 3 to 5, which I think is a bit obscure to uh, many of us, but I pray God's help will be able to uh, open it uh, up. But he, Paul begins to say, in view of these messes, he's actually referring to what he has said in the first 11 chapters. So it's, it's as if saying, because of what God has done, that is opening our eyes, helping us to see our sin, because Romans chapter 3 says, there's no one who is righteous. And it is as if, I wanted to make it clear, it says, not even one. All have fallen short to the glory of God. In fact, that's the bad news. And we need to understand the bad news before we can appreciate the good news. Thankfully, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, there is a good news. And we can summarize that good news simply by these three words. Adoption through propitiation. Adoption through propitiation. We have sinned against a thrice holy God in heaven. And the only way for us to be right with God is when someone will meet God's standard. And nobody else can do that except the God-man himself, Jesus our Christ. So, he goes on and to tell us about all that which... Uh, that actually means, and in chapter 3, we see an illustration of justification. Where Paul is saying, we are justified freely by grace. In fact, justification is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift to the guilty. And Abraham was that perfect example. And you see, chapter 5, so we have got peace with God. And chapter 6, we're now living our life with the risen Christ. And on and on, now towards the end, it has, as if Paul cannot help it, but he burst in doxology. And then we'll come to chapter 12. And then Paul says, because of all these messes, gospel messes, because of what I have done through my son Jesus Christ, this is now how you are to respond. As you know, it's God's, I mean, it's Paul's style to first give us a teaching or doctrine, then conduct. And this is what you've been looking at the last two uh, Sundays in view of these messes. So the Christian life is not designed to be casual or boring. Perhaps you may be hearing this call to present yourself as a living sacrifice. That is, to commit yourself sacrificially. And you're thinking, mm, I kind of like my life the way it is. Or perhaps you're like, I've been hurt in the past. And I don't want to make myself vulnerable. Again, it would be crazy for me to be that committed. I'm just a Christian, but not a radical Christian, not a committed one. Well, Romans 12, 1 to 2, God argues the opposite. 
So God's argument is that this commitment is the most logical decision that a believer can possibly take. That is to offer ourselves wholly to the Lord. In fact, he will argue that if we refuse, then we as believers are not thinking reasonably. Our reasoning is short-circuited. So, if you, if you want to see where we are going, I just have two points. So, we are responding to this question, how then can I present myself at the altar of our sacrifice? How can I do so? Again, it is as if God is asking the question, and the question many times we want to, ask, to be asking or to, to be hearing being asked is, is anyone here willing to die for Jesus? Perhaps most of us will raise our hands if I were to ask that question. I'm not going to ask that question. God is not even asking that question. Who is willing to die for Jesus? Because we will sometimes raise our hands because we think that it's just adventurous or spiritual. Dying for Jesus, boom. No. God asks a different question. Not who is willing to die for Jesus, but who is willing to live for Jesus. And the question we're answering this day is, how do we do so? And first is in humility of service. Humility of service. Second, diversity in service. Simple. I mean, you cannot miss it. Humility, diversity. How simple can it get? So look with me again, verses, uh, uh, just verse number three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So first he's acknowledging the grace that has been given to him. This is Apostle Paul and it is helpful for us to make it clear this is not saving grace. But it's a gift. the grace he's referring to is a gift of apostleship. He calls it a grace. God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now notice the attitude here. He's not coming with any sort of arrogance or self-importance. He simply says, this is a grace. Is this not humility? In fact, Paul never outgrew the attitude of humility. If you remember when just God saved he called himself the least of the apostles. Then later on he called himself the least of the saints. And towards the end of this ministry, you would think he's now thinking he has arrived, but he now calls himself the chief of sinners. He was conscious of the fact that he was a recipient of God's grace not only as an apostle, but even as a child of God. He was a recipient of God's grace. And as you know, uh, Paul, he is a man that was opposing the spread of the gospel. He is a man who go to the high priest to get consent to kill Christians. He was a blasphemer. But Acts 9, we see God stopped Saul then 
in his sinful tracks, opening his eyes, help him to see his need for the Savior. And that's why Paul, for the rest of his life, he saw himself as a recipient of God's grace and was always consumed with his concept of grace. What a way to live one's life. And because of that, he's saying, in view of this message I have received and beyond, for everybody else, we are then, for the rest of our lives, to be presenting ourselves. And this, no break. This is how we ought to live. But how do we do so? He's saying, with an attitude of humility. And 1 Corinthians 4, 7 is asking a question. What do you have that you have not received? So Paul is saying, grace should lead to humility. And Paul knows very well that if we are not careful, God's graces can lead to pride. They can lead to pride. There is no blessing from God that he gives us that we as fallen beings cannot turn upside down. Where I come from, people give themselves titles like apostle. Some will call themselves reverend, bishop, doctor. And people are even going further. Some people call themselves major prophets, senior prophets. But Paul here is saying, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. It's interesting here, Paul is not sparing anyone, right? Is he? He says everyone. He is coming here as an apostle. And he's encouraging us, instructing us to cultivate humility in light of what God has given us. That we're not to think of ourselves highly. And the basis again is in view of these messes, gospel messes. So what is he saying exactly? Think rightly of yourself. Don't have a high view of yourselves. In fact, there is a, a survey that was done, I believe it was in the 70s, about uh, self-esteem. So they asked students from Korea what they thought of themselves as far as their abilities to do mathematics is concerned. So they took a group of Korean students and American students. So the results were very interesting. The Koreans scored the lowest in how they view themselves as how good they were at mathematics. It was like, um, no, we're not good, we're poor. They scored the lowest. The Americans scored the highest how they thought of themselves. Now, when the mathematic paper came, guess what? The Koreans scored the highest. The Americans, <laughs> you guess is as good as mine. <laughs> so Paul here is saying, 
you think of yourself with a sober judgment. He's dealing with the problem of an inflated ego. I mean, this is ironic. God has given you mercies. He has given you these graces. And you're going to use that to feel proud. But we also need to acknowledge there are sometimes a false kind of humility. That goes like, oh, I'm nobody. I can't even speak like an American. I've got a deep accent. I wonder why anyone would bother to talk or listen to me. I'm a nobody. I am from Malawi. Friends, that's not humility. That's a pity party. And one man says, if you are anything like that, you need to get rid of that stinking thinking. Because sometimes we can be so proud, but we want to appear as if we're humble. I'll never forget this, uh, some years ago, listened to a radio station, somebody called and was saying online, do you know how humble I am? Do you know how humble I am? <laughs> Paul says, think with sober judgment. And one man said, and I quote, we must learn our position in God's family and learn to behave as a responsible member of that family. Whatever gift or talent God has given to us, it has been given to promote the welfare of the entire body, not to promote or advance ourselves. End quote. But let's be honest, this is not our natural disposition, is it? We are easily uh, proud, even of all the blessings, the mercies that God has given us. You know, we're dead. Ephesians 2 said, we're dead. Can you imagine a corpse? A corpse is a dead body, right? If God were to raise this corpse, and then as the corpse has been raised, and then the corpse says, it's because of my reflexes. <laughs> no. That should actually humble you. And Paul is saying, if we're going to relate together as a body of Christ, First, we need to acknowledge that we are to think rightly. Our attitude should be that of uh, humility. Humility. And it's hard. This also reminds me of uh, one man at OR International Airport in Johannesburg. He wanted to be served fast, and his attitude was also not uh, right. So the lady was assisting him and said, Sir, how can I help you? And this man now started uh, screaming, Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And then she went on the microphone and said, There's a man here who does not know who he is. <laughs> we ought to serve one another with uh, humility. And elsewhere it says, If we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. But notice again what he says in verse 3 each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The key word there, God has assigned. God is sovereign as to whom he assigns what measure of faith. I think he teaches us here that we do not have the same measure of faith. Again, this is not saving faith. 
but the quantity of uh, faith. It's helpful again to understand that you and I will fulfill our calling when we function according to God's sovereign design for us. But that requires humility. That's our first uh, point. But let's look at uh, the next, which I believe is an extension of the first. Not only humility in service, but now diversity of service. Verses 4 to 5. Look at verse 4 closely. I believe Paul is asking us to think two realities at the same time in verse 4. Here's how he puts it. For, for as in one body we have many members. So he's saying, number one, remember that we are part of one body. But number two, he says, remember, we are not the same. Just as we have the same members in one body, we need also to acknowledge, although we are one in the same body, we have God distinct functions. We are part of one body, but we are not the same. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? Because we are living in days that is dominated by egalitarianism. Now, where I come from, when America sneezes, we catch the flu. So, this, is, didn't have to, this was not an issue for most, for most part. But now, there is an agenda to promote what comes as very innocent. You, know, you need to promote the girl child. And, I mean, we should all be for that. Promote the girl child. Because where I come from, we have uh, this uh, problem where sometimes young girls are forced to marry at a young age. And that is uh, tragic. But they're even going further now. What I tend to say is, what a girl can do, no, rather, what a man can do, a woman also can do. So understand now the implication for the church. So now denominations back home, they are saying, if a man can preach when the church has gathered, why can't a woman not do the same? So you have to disregard what the Bible said clearly. First Timothy 2 is clear, right? I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And Paul even gives us a reason. You know what's the reason? God's order of design. It goes back to Genesis. And he says, because Adam was born first, then Eve. Now, I don't know if I'm studying that passage in Malawi. Adam was born first, and then you are studying Orange County, whether it's different. Adam being born first for a Malawian, and Adam being born first for someone in California. Does it change? But what's the point here? Paul is saying, although we are one, we have got different functions. God has given us different gifts in the body. So part of us giving of ourselves as living sacrifices is not only to have an attitude of humility, but to acknowledge there's diversity in the body of Christ. And the diversity does not undercut our unity. Because sometimes I believe we settle for a shallow kind of diversity. 
where we sometimes only see diversity in terms of our color. As you, I think you have noticed that I'm black, right? <laughs> but by being black, it also means I'm not white, right? And that's okay. But if we're in Christ, we are one. But we're different. We might have differences of personalities, differences of giftedness. Just like in the human body, the body does amazing things that we don't always, uh, we're not always conscious of. Like as I'm talking, you realize that uh, even my legs are moving. Now imagine as I'm talking, I hope this is not distracting, sometimes I use the whole body. But imagine now if uh, the ear said, I think you're, you're shaking too much now. But the point there is actually uh, clear. But I wanted to try to even make it uh, more clear to understand what verses 4 and 5 are teaching us is simply this. First is saying, unity does not mean sameness. Unity is not uniformity. In fact, there's a French church in uh, South Africa. He's black, but his church is diverse in the sense that it's about 50% black, 50% white. My church is 99.9% black because we're in Malawi. There's only one white couple. <laughs> but you see, the reason that our church is diverse, there's, more, there's black people and there's white people. What brings them together is actually not necessarily any other thing, but this is an upmarket suburb where they are meeting. So it is actually something that is bringing them together. Unfortunately, we can look at that and look at how diverse they are. And that's what I meant. Sometimes that diversity can just be shallow. Back home, we all look like me, but there's diversities in education. There's some people at our church that don't even understand English. There are some people that don't have uh, jobs. They are struggling. Yet there are some other few people that have got jobs able to take care of themselves. Sometimes relating with one another is just hard. There's just diversity. But the point I am making, Paul is acknowledging that there is diversity in the body of Christ. But again, we need to see this. Unity does not mean interchangeability. One size does not fit all in the kingdom of God. There are different gifts. I'll come back to what I mentioned earlier. Now, what's happening back home? Where now? Uh oh. Where now there is a serious agenda to have women in the pulpit. How do we respond to that? And then Paul seemed to be saying, not everybody in the body has the same set of gifts. So what can we say? I think it's fair to be able to say, don't seek the gift God has not given you. Or neglect the one he has given you. There are non-transferable functions 
in the body of Christ. I am a very terrible singer. So much so that sometimes when I am singing, my daughter is asking, Daddy, what are you saying? And I'm like, I was not talking. I was singing. <laughs> it is that bad. But you know what? I need to be comfortable that God has not, in his wisdom, given me that gift. It's okay. I've got other functions that he can be able to use me. As someone say, we need to be able to play where the coach puts us. Play where the coach puts us. We have got different gifts and responsibilities in the kingdom of God. But look at the flip side. Look at now with me, verse 5. It says there's diversity in our unity and we belong to one another. There's diversity in, in our unity and we belong to one another. Sometimes it's easy for us to dismiss each other because we think because we have got these differences, then we have got nothing to do with each other. That's all what the Bible is saying here. It's saying. The other part of this verse says, we, we, though many, are one body in Christ. One body in Christ, but notice this, and individually members of one another. So Paul, again, seemed to be saying, just because we're different does not mean we lack unity. Diversity does not mean disunity. In fact, Paul says, even though we're different, we are part of one, the same body of Christ. So these differences does not mean disunity. Why? Because we belong to each other. We belong to each other. Yes, we may be different. As the motto of the three musketeers, one for all and all of one. But of course, we have to get self out of the way, right? Because most of us will struggle with that individualism. So the attitude has to be of humility, but also acknowledge diversity. And there's no better illustration than that of the spiritual body. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The body is the greatest spiritual reality of fellowship that we could possibly conceive. 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul says, I want you to get this right. Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has given you a gift if you are in Christ, and that gift is unique to you, and God wanted you to have that gift for the common good of everybody. Look with me again, same chapter, verse 29. Let's look at verse 27 first. Now, you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, that is your one, and individually 
members of it. Verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Those are rhetorical questions, right? And the answer is no. We don't have same gifts. I can think of a better summary than this from one Bible uh, commentator, F. F. Bruce, and here's what he says, and I quote, Diversity, not uniformity, is a mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature, it is so in grace too, and nowhere more so than in the Christian community. Here are many men and women with diverse kinds of parentage, environment, temperament, and capacity. Not only so, but since they became Christians, they have been endowed by God with a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Yet because and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole. End quote. Point is, God's glory is revealed in the diversity of his people. So perhaps you're hearing that, and then the question should be, so what? So what? Well, number one, in view of this message, and what verses 3 to 5 is calling us, this should lead to service. It is God's desire that the ordinary become, rather, sorry, the extraordinary become the ordinary. If you have presented yourselves on the altar of sacrifice, you should be marked by humble service. I just like what is written there. A Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and, so I was interested in, sacrificially serving Jesus. That's how we present ourselves as living sacrifices. That's how we live for Christ. Giving of ourselves again and again to build each other up. So the question I may ask you is, how are you using your gift for the good of others here at GCO? Or do you just come on Sunday and nobody else is benefiting from your gift and you show up next week Sunday? I don't believe that's God's design. This is why God has given you a unique gift and that gift is to be used to build the church here. And it demands that your attitude should be marked by humility. And how does lack of humility manifest itself? Sometimes just a lack of community, where we gravitate towards those that are just like us. How we answer this question? If your life seems stuck, even though you read your Bible and pray, Someone suggests that it may be 
that you are neglecting getting together with other believers and are depriving yourself of the exchange necessary for spiritual growth. And that goes both ways. If you're not giving of yourselves as a living sacrifice, in view of this message, God has saved you, but he has saved you for service. If you're not giving of yourself, you are actually not only depriving yourself, but also you are robbing others of the gift God has given you. As these gifts are diverse, it simply means everyone in this room, not only are you needy, you're also needed. Are you robbing your brothers and sisters of your giftedness to this church? While withholding service to others? This church will be better for it if everyone was putting themselves on the altar of sacrifice. But you see what happens in most churches. I don't know if this is an exception. It's usually the less than 20% who do the work of the 80%. But can you imagine if everybody in this church, because of who they are now in Christ, now that they're united in Christ, they live most of their lives being self-absorbed, being self-focused, but now, because of what God has done in Christ, opening our eyes to see the need for the Savior, now being called to his service, we are to give again and again of ourselves, building up his church. Imagine what the harvest would be at this church if that was what we're doing. In other words, we're just out-saving one another. And this is a beautiful picture and observed yesterday. I came here for the men's breakfast. This young man, Michael Shiara, did a great job exposing God's word. But I saw some older men in the kitchen. They prepared the food. After we ate, they're busy with our dishes. I was like, this is just beautiful. Some of those older men, it may not be their gift to teach but you know what? When God looks at those older men whose gift is not to teach, he doesn't think of them as any less than someone who is teaching. Because not everybody has been given the public gifts to be able to speak, to be able to preach. But everyone is gifted. And Paul is saying part of us giving of ourselves as living sacrifices is to be able to serve King Jesus in humility but also acknowledging our diversity. So if you're in Christ, I'm pleading with you, examine yourself. Where are you as far as using your gifts for the good of this church? In the view of this message, gospel message, is your life lived in gratitude for what God has done. We're told we're saved by grace, right? Through faith. But we're also taught we're saved for good works. But if you're not a recipient of this message, I've got good news for you. But first, the bad news. You cannot do anything. Dead people are just that. They're dead. Dead people need help from outside. So stop trying to change yourself. You are a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. He came to live a life you failed to live. And ultimately died the death you deserve.
all that is expected of you to acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And whoever comes to Christ, he will by no means be cast out. So whoever you are, wherever you are, seek the Lord while he may be found. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, by your grace, you may use, Lord, these truths to steer us out, steer us up, God, for service. I pray, Lord, that you will not allow, God, the enemy of our souls to let us just hear this from one ear and let it exit the other ear. But I pray that, Lord, in view of all this gospel message, help us to put into practice this message. And I pray if there's anyone who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, how I pray that you may stop them from their sinful tracks. The Lord God, they will come to you in faith and repentance. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.